listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Now, I need a little bit better than that. Uh, Casey preached last week, and I missed y'all, so I need to know y'all are here. You're ready. You packed the lunch because I'm ready to preach. Come on. Amen. Hey, uh, what's up, Aurora Christian School? We, uh, Vintage Church, welcome Aurora Christian School. Let, just, yeah, just cheer again. Let, 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 just let them think this is what we do all the time. Uh, this is a group of students from the Chicago area. Is that right? Um, down here in the dirty south, hanging out with us for a little while. Uh, they are actually serving over at Victim, Victory Mountain Camp in Sofia as a part of spring break. This is what students do for spring break? That's awesome. That's not what I did when I was in spring break. Uh, so thank you for the contribution that you're making to our community, and we are so honored to have y'all worship with us today. Um, yes, so grab your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we are just going to dive right in, if that's cool with everybody. Is that cool with everybody? Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 10 with me, actually the latter part of verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, latter part of verse 10, it says this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the final installment of a series that we've been calling Paradox. And if you don't know what a paradox is, let me give you a simple definition. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or position that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. A paradox. And we see examples of this all throughout Scripture, where Scripture just says things that on the surface doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Come on. Amen. And it's littered throughout Scripture where God in his word says something, and when you first read it, like it just flies into the natural order of the way that we think. And this is definitely one of them. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Makes no sense. It makes no sense. It's another one of these paradoxes that we see in Scripture. These things that seem to be absurdly contradictory to one another, but when you investigate it, when you dive into it, and when you really understand what God is trying to say to us in verses like this, when you, when you take time to investigate it a little bit more. And see, here's the problem with most of us. We read the Bible on a very surface level. Come on. Like we just, we, we see even reading Scripture as just this, Thing that we have to check off a box so that God's not mad at us. Like some of y'all came here today for that very reason. Like, let me go to church today. In case I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I don't want to go to hell then, so let me go to church tomorrow. <laughs> and that's kind of the way we look at it. And so it's really easy to read verses like this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And, and not really get down to the meat. Uh, and of all the verses that, are, that, that we need to dig into is these paradox verses that we see in Scripture. These things that seem just to be madness when you first read them and so we've been doing that over these last few weeks and today's the final installment and again let me give you in case you didn't grow up in church or you haven't been around here lately this is a verse written by a guy named Paul Paul 
And in case you haven't been here, in case you didn't grow up in church, I, I don't like to assume anything when, when, I, when I preach. Paul is writing this, church, this letter to a church in a place called Corinth. And this is the second letter that he would write to that church. Must have been a pretty messed up church. Had to get two letters. But Paul was this guy who, he, he was religious, he was wealthy, he, he, he had everything that the world has to offer. And one day he's walking down this road and he's on his way to continue to persecute Christians. His life mission in that moment was to stop the movement that Jesus had started. That was his whole life goal. Jesus had come, he had heard about Jesus. Paul was a, a guy, he was a Pharisee, he was a very staunch religious man, and he believed what Jesus came to do was flew into the face of everything he had ever known. And so his life's mission was to stop the church from growing and moving forward. And he was actually there overseeing the very first Christian to give their life for their faith, a guy named Stephen, until he meets Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, it'll, it'll radically wreck your life. When you authentically meet Jesus, you will not walk away the same. It just, it's impossible. Come on, somebody who, testify, come on. Like when you authentically meet Jesus, somebody's about to clap, I'll let that happen, go ahead. And so he meets Jesus and he becomes a church planner. And his mission becomes now just to fuel what Jesus started and to go around teaching the gospel. And here he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. And his second letter, if you read it and you understand the context, see, he had started this church in, in Corinth along with him and some other friends. And, and, and he had planted this church and the movement of Jesus was growing and it was flourishing. And then some other people came on the scene in Corinth and started teaching some things contradictory to what Paul had taught. They had showed up and started giving them a, a different version of the gospel, a false gospel. They tried to kind of lead people astray because what happened was, just like in maybe our culture today, people found that there was a lot of wealth and popularity in this Christian movement. And so for those reasons, and you can even see Paul says there's people that are preaching the gospel for, for just financial gain. They just want to be popular and they want to be wealthy and they're teaching you something that isn't true to the gospel. But what they would do, they would try to discredit Paul. Because they think if we, can, if, we can, if we can discredit the messenger, we'll ruin the message. You know, that's the, the enemy's plan still today, right? That's why we see so many messengers falling. Because the temptation there is so strong. So if we can discredit the messenger, then maybe we can discredit the message. And so they start trying to kind of discredit all these things that Paul was saying. And so Paul writes the second letter really in response to that. Trying to say, look guys, like you... Don't abandon what you knew was right from us. Like, the message that we gave you was the true, pure, honest gospel. And don't let these people come in and, and try to dilute it. And I know what they're doing. They're trying to discredit me so that you'll walk away from Jesus and the true teachings of Jesus. And so Paul, 2 Corinthians is unlike any other book he wrote. Because you can see he's, kinda, he's a little bit on the defensive because all these people are, are messing with his people and messing with his church and messing with his message and messing with his character. And so he's coming, he's coming hard at them with some things. But he's also very, very real and honest. See, the best thing that you can do when adversity hits, instead of trying to pretend like something that you're not, is be who you were authentically created to be. Because see, that's not our natural reaction, isn't it? Is it? Like when we hit adversity, we try to be tougher than we really are. And Paul gets really honest because he says this in the context of this. Go move up a couple verses from verse 10 to verse 7. Paul says, therefore, in order to keep from becoming conceited, 
In order, in order to keep from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. See, Paul, we're going to read it in just a minute. Paul was saying, look, man, like, these people trying to act like they got something, I got the resume, bro. Like, I've got, you want to you compare my resume to their resume, I'll blow it out of the water. Because I've been through it for Jesus. I can, I can put what I've been through and what I've done and what I've accomplished for Jesus against anybody in the world. And, but here's what's happened. Like, the Lord knew that my head would get too big to walk through the front door. And so in order for my head to get too big to walk through the front door, like I feel like I have this, this thing, this thorn in my flesh. He calls it a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan. That like this thing is something that Satan is constantly trying to use in him to push him into feeling feelings that could hinder the purpose that he has for his life. Because, you know, that's the enemy's really goal. Like, once God has you, all the enemy wants to do, because he knows he can't rip you from, from your Heavenly Father's arms, he wants to make you ineffective and unfruitful. And he does that by getting you distracted and to focus on things that you don't need to be focusing on. Come on, I'm preaching better than y'all listening. You with me? It says, a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Like, that's some pretty hard words, isn't it? So I don't think this was just like a little bitty nuisance. See, there, 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 there's things in our lives that I just call gnats. You, you got gnats in your life? Just gnats. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, they can't kill you. They can't, can't really do anything to really harm you. They're just annoying. Like, something like, yeah, I'm sitting beside them right now. I'm just like, there's just, like, these gnats, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, they, they, can't, they, they can't really hurt you, they can't really destroy you, but they're just enough to distract you and annoy you and keep you from focusing. Come on, y'all know the gnats of life, right? This ain't a gnat. Those words are too strong for it to be a gnat. He said, it's a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, and it's not annoying me, it's tormenting me. Like, it's driving me crazy. So much so that three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Like this thing, it's not a gnat. Like it's, it's a real issue. It's a real problem. So much so that there's been on three different occasions where I've dropped to my knees and begged God that it be taken away. Pleaded with him. Strong language. That I've pleaded with God that he would take it away. Paul's talking about, I've got this weakness. I've got this thing about myself. I've got this thing in my life that is just driving me crazy, and I want nothing more than for it to go away, for it to be resolved. And it's in this context that later he's going to say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Weakness. A weakness. You ever read the Bible, and the more you read it, you find that you're not much different than the people that you're reading about? Paul had a weakness. And I think that's what he's referring to in this passage of Scripture, his weakness. And the reality is, we all have them, don't we? We all have weaknesses. We all have things that are about us, that are about ourselves, that we consider a weakness. 
Like everyone around you, every per- the strongest person you can think of. Think about whoever you think is, is physically, emotionally, financially, whatever, strong in every way. We all, the reality is, every single person in this room, every single person in this world has a weakness. Aurora Christian, we have a saying around our church, welcome to Venice Church, where everybody's as messed up as you are. <laughs> and it's true. Like we're all just as messed up as you are because we all have a weakness. And that's not something that we, we like to really be honest about. Because when we admit that we have a weakness, it opens us up to being really vulnerable, doesn't it? And we're really afraid to tell other people about our weakness because you know what? Our culture says don't let them know because if they know your weakness, they will use it against you. And so, so many of us are never really have the courage to be honest about our weakness. And here's something that you really need to know. Your weakness can never become your strength if you continue to pretend it does not exist. And the reason why we never make the transition that Paul's talking about in this paradox is because we're never really real about our weakness. So let me ask you a question. What's your weakness? What's your weakness? I don't need you to say it out loud, but then I'm going to challenge you to do something sometime before now and the end of this day Will you confess your weakness to somebody you know, you love, and you trust? Because the truth is about your weakness, it will destroy you if you try to keep it a secret. It will destroy you if you try to keep it a secret. And the reality is weakness comes in many forms. And I've heard a lot of people talk about this passage because Paul, Paul doesn't come out and say what his weakness is. Notice, he said, I've, he calls it a messenger of Satan. He doesn't really, and I've heard people say, well, there's reasons why Paul didn't give this, get, tell what it is or whatever. That kind of stuff. Can, I, can I submit to you, though? I think the people he was writing to knew what it was. They had been around him. They knew Paul. They'd experienced him. They had spent, and, and I think the reason why Paul doesn't specifically say it in that passage, not because he was trying to necessarily protect us from being able to know what it was or getting envious of what it was, is because the people he was writing to knew what it was. And can I submit to you, if you have a weakness, whether you want to even realize this or not, there's people around you that know you, they know it. They see it. And they're like, would you just be honest about it? And then maybe our marriage would be better. Or maybe you'd be a better father. Or maybe you'd be better in your career. Come on. If you would just be real about it, then maybe we could make some change. But I want to talk about two different categories of weakness that I've struggled with in my life. Can I be real and transparent with y'all today? Okay, good. See, there's weakness that comes in the form of, of an inappropriate desire, a temptation. There's a weakness that comes in the form of an inappropriate desire, a temptation. And I would submit to you that I think every human on the planet has a spiritual kryptonite. 
we have something that is our weakness. A temptation that the enemy uses on us more than any others because it is our weakness. Like there's something that is out there that when it's put in front of us, we just can't. It's, it's harder for us to fight it than any other thing. Like for some of you guys, let me give you just a good example. There are some people in this room that will, will never, ever, ever struggle with alcohol. And there are some people in this room, one taste, next thing you know, you're hammered and dancing on the table. Like there is no in-between. Come on. There are some people in this room, pornography never may be a struggle for you. But for some of us who were introduced to it at the age of 12, we will battle it our entire lives. It gets quiet when it gets real. See, there is a weakness that I think all of us have. There's a temptation. Tell me, I'm not, let me know I'm not crazy, amen? There's a temptation that comes at us, and, and, and maybe, it's, maybe it's pride, maybe it's lying, maybe, I don't know. There's some things that like, that like there's some things that, you know what, I don't know, that I hear people talk about, and you're like, I've never, I've never struggled with that, and don't think I ever will. Then there's some people that talk about, like, yep, that's me all time, all day, every day. That there's weakness that comes in the form of an inappropriate desire. I think Paul knew what it was like to struggle with this. Look at Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Man, this, I can relate to this verse as much as any verse in all of Scripture. For I know the good, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Like, I know I should eat a salad, but the cheeseburger looks good. <laughs> Reese's cup or apple? Reese's cup. <laughs> That's funny, but it's true, and there's places that it's more serious and more dangerous. I know the good I ought to do. I know I shouldn't be looking at that. I know I shouldn't be going to that place. I know I shouldn't be involved in that. I know I shouldn't say those things. And I'm struggling with this inappropriate desire. All of us have it. What's yours? You got to get real about it. Because if you don't, you'll never experience what Paul's trying to teach us here. And see, here's the thing. When, when the weakness of inappropriate desire gets the best of you, what it produces, what happens is you become ineffective for God's glory. When that weakness gets the best of you, the result is you're ineffective. You can't be effective for God when you continue to allow temptation to get the best of you and sin to be present in your life. Sin is the effectiveness killer. Come on. Sin is the, if, if this weakness gets the best of you, if, if the inappropriate desire that you struggle with gets the best of you, it'll always render you ineffective for his glory. You'll never be able to accomplish all the significant things for God's kingdom that he desires for your life when you continue to fall victim of the weakness of an inappropriate desire. 
But I don't know that that's the weakness that even Paul is necessarily referring to in this context. See, there's also a weakness that we see as an inconvenient defect. A weakness that we see as an inconvenient defect. Like there's, like, I'm a flawed person. So are you, come, shut up. (laughs) There are things about myself that I hate sometimes. You ever have those moments where you do or you say things or, or, or something just happened, you're like, that is, I hate that about me. And you're like, come on, you ever had the moment where you're like, and you just say, God, why am I like this? I have a few people nodding their heads. Thank you all. <laughs> and you struggle with it. Or, or, or there's things that, that you just either physically can't do that you wish you could do. Or you see, like, like I see... How about Evan Walden standing up here singing his guts out today? Can y'all just show him some love? How amazing. Awesome. That, that young man is an answer to prayer that, that our, our worship leader, uh, Christian Hahn, who, our worship pastor, who can t- take a step back and do something else and give some other people a day off, and that young man stand here and lead worship with confidence and strength and power and just belt it out like he got angels in his throat. I will never do that. (laughs) It's absolutely impossible. Y'all would never come back, ever. And you know what? Can I be honest with you? Like, I want to punch him in the face. Not really. A little bit. But, you know, you see some things that, 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 that God has just put in people, and, like, it's really easy to get jealous because it feels like, God, you left something out over here, right? Like, it would be awesome if I had that too. And there's just things in our lives, and those are silly, but there's things that are, that are getting more serious that we see just like an inconvenient defect of who we are. Like, some, when we were in the assembly line of creation, somehow we just got glossed over. And that thing didn't get put in us and can I say I think that 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 may be a little bit of what Paul's talking about because look at what he look at what he writes a little bit earlier on before he gets to chapter 12 and I think you get an idea of kind of something that Paul I think struggled with look at chapter 10 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ I appeal to you I Paul who am quote-unquote timid when face-to-face with you, but quote-unquote bold toward you when I'm away. Do you see what Paul's doing? Y'all have used the air quotes, right? He says, so supposedly, me, Paul, you remember me, the one who's supposedly timid when I'm there, but bold when I'm away? Like, that's, that's becoming the rumor. It's like Paul, who's, you know what, when he's here, he's, he's kind of more chill, and he's more laid back, and he's not as forceful, and he's not aggressive. But then he writes to us, and he won't say all these mean and hateful, hard things. Verse 10 of chapter 10. Drop down to verse 10. It says, For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Now, most of us who sit here today and we've read all Paul's letters. letters. We don't, when we think of Paul, we think of like a, a bold, powerful guy. 
like who didn't, who didn't hold back, who wrote, who wrote with passion and power. But here he's saying, there are some of y'all that's saying all, and this is, remember, he's already written one letter. So he's saying, so he got 1 Corinthians and he's blasting the church for things that they're not doing right and they're being divisive and they're letting things happen that shouldn't be happening and he's just like hammering them home. Like he's just saying things that need to be said because sometimes the people of God don't need their ears tickled. They need, they need something a little more forceful. And he says, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and he speak, speaking amounts to nothing. That basically, you know, there's a lot of research that says a lot of different things about Paul. And I don't know that we ever, no matter how much we dive into it, we ever really, 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 really know. From everything that he had, a speech impediment to we had epilepsy to all these different things. But best that we can gather is Paul probably wasn't the greatest public speaker. Maybe not the most impressive preacher vocally standing up and speaking. There was a guy named Apollos that's referenced in scripture and, and, and he was like, he could flat bring it. And you know what I think you hear a little bit in Paul here is in the beginning of this letter, he's feeling that weight of, okay, I'm not a good speaker and y'all just throwing it in my face. Or y'all trying to act like because you know, my letters seem to be a little bit more powerful and more eloquent because the reality is I'm a little bit better at writing than I am speaking. It's not because I'm not afraid to say to you what you need to hear. It's just because there's something that there's a defect that maybe that I have that doesn't give me the ability to speak to you like that, like I would really like to. But then I love what he says in that. Look at verse 11. Such people should realize that when we are that what we are in our letters, when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we get there. I just reminded, like, okay, you think, you think I'm timid. Well, you, wait, you wait till I get back. But you can kind of see that there was something about Paul that he knew he struggled with. That maybe he wasn't the greatest speaker. But I also think if he had been such a great speaker, would he have taken the time to be such an amazing writer and would we continue to be inspired by his words thousands of years later? Because God had gifted him, but he had just gifted him in a different way than he had gifted others. But when you see your weakness as an inconvenient defect, what will always end up happening is you will feel insecure. It will make you feel insecure. If that thing that you feel like you're missing, if you allow it to get the best of you, if you fall victim to the weakness of what feels like an inconvenient defect, it will cause you to feel insecure. And insecurity can lead to a lot of dangerous things. I'm pretty naturally an insecure person. Anybody else with me? No, you, you won't say amen because you're too insecure. <laughs> Can't say that. Because it's so easy to focus on who we're not instead of who we are. It's so easy to focus on what we don't have instead of what we do. We're a culture that loves to fixate on what we lack instead of focus on what we have. And that insecurity will always get us chasing something. And you know what? There, the, 
The most dangerous benefit of social media is it allows us to be more insecure than ever. Because all you can see is people's highlight reel. You can see everything anybody's doing. A little too much. Put the phone down. There's a button on your phone this side. Hold it till it says power off and swipe. <laughs> because, see, we, we, we constantly get in that comparison game, and we constantly look at what other people have, and when we can constantly see what they have, we're constantly reminded of what we don't. And it's even things that matter, like, you see somebody with their, their family, and it just reminds you that you don't have one. You see somebody playing with their children, and it just reminds you that you don't have them. You see somebody going to work, and it just reminds you, you ain't got a job. Somebody posts a picture of their new car, and just reminded that you got this broken down piece of junk that wouldn't even start. Amen. And it can breed and see the... See, our natural kind of reaction sometimes when we're beginning to feel insecure is to find reasons to validate ourselves or find ways to validate ourselves. And can I say, even Paul begins to do this a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, I think, I think Paul's feeling the insecurity because he's being questioned and, he, and he's got people that are doubting him. He's got people that are saying these things about him and he's being, he's being reminded of all that he isn't. And you can see his frustration and his natural gut reaction is to lash out with who he is and what he's doing. And so he says stuff like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about. And then look what he says. It's like he pauses and says, I'm speaking as a fool. Like, you know what, basically, uh, I also dare boast. In other words, he says, I know what I'm about to write. I probably shouldn't even write. That whatever anyone else has to boast, I'm speaking as a fool. Like, I, like, all these people that are bragging, I got things to brag about too. And look what he says. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. Do you see? Can you, can you feel it? Are you with me? Say Amen. Like, he's even knowing, like, I'm going to tell them how good I really am. And maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to. He says, I'm out of my mind. But, he, but then he says, I'm more. He said, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted, was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Verse 27. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And do I not feel weak? Who is led into sin? And do I not burn inwardly? So he's saying, you know what? All these things... Like, I, I could justify everything I'm saying to you because I've earned the right. Like, I, you want to compare resumes with these knuckleheads that are trying to get your attention compared to me? Like, they're not even close. They can't hold a candle to me. But if I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He said, because, but the, here's the reality. Despite all that, 
yeah, I'm really not much. There's a lot of things that, you could, that they may have said about me that are probably right. I mean, I could, I could, I could lay my resume out there. <laughs> like Paul just like saying, I'm not saying, just saying. And he even says, look at what he says in the latter part of chapter 12, verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because it's true. But he says, you know what? I could go, in, go into all that, but you know what? I've learned not to be afraid of my weakness. I've learned that I don't have to hide my weakness. That you can use my weakness against me if you want to. But you know what? I've learned something that you need to learn. That weakness is a part of my intentional design. That weakness is a part of my intentional design. That your weakness is not a defect. It's a part of your design to remind you of your dependence on God. Like it's not a, it's not a defect. It's a part of your design. God did not forget it. He intentionally left it out so that you could never do anything without him. And you could never do anything that you could steal the glory from him for doing. Like he's intentionally left you that way so that when he moves in your life and when you admit it and you surrender it to him, that he can infuse you with the power of his spirit and still enable you to accomplish his calling in your life. said, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Because remember, he said three times I, I asked God to take it away. And God wasn't silent. God gave him an answer. He says this, verse 9, chapter 12. But this is what he said to me. When I, when I prayed, when I said this thing that is my weakness that I need to go, that's driving me crazy, God, will you take it away? This is what God said to Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness what he's saying is no i will not take it away but what i've done is i've given you this opportunity to experience something called grace which closes the gap between your weakness and his strength and allows you to have everything you need to continue to pursue all he has for you there will always be that gap and the only way to close it is through the grace of God. That grace is this beautiful gap closer. Grace is this thing that God allows you to have that you can't earn, that you can't work hard enough for, that you can't buy, that says here's your weakness, here's the strength you need to accomplish what you need to do, and you can't get there by yourself. But what I'll do is I'll go to the cross, take on your weakness, bury it in a tomb, overcome it through raising from the dead, and then I will give you the mercy and grace that's necessary to close that gap between who you don't think you are and who you need to be in order to live out all that I have for you in this life. Somebody praise the Lord. He says, so therefore I will boast all the more glad. You know what he's boasting about? He, what he's saying is I will boast because I've had the courage to know I'm weak. 
I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Because Paul says what I realized is only when I admit my weakness, only when I realize what it is, only when I have the courage to accept it can I allow God to bring the healing necessary to fix it. See, you can't, your weakness can't become your strength if you don't allow God's grace to fill in the gap, and God's grace will never come into your life until you have the courage to admit that the weakness exists and allow him to come into your life and bring the healing and forgiveness that's necessary to turn you into who he created you to be. He says, so I'll boast, you know what I'll boast about is I have the courage to admit that I have this weakness. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in my weakness and insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, when you see your weakness as an intentional part of your design and you allow God to fill the gap, then you become invincible. You realize that you no longer have to be a victim to your weakness. That inappropriate desire that you have, it doesn't have to keep getting the best of you. That temptation doesn't always have to lead to sin. Because I'm reminded what Paul, Paul learned at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Our God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure. Like when you accept the grace of God and when you allow him to close that gap in you through the power of his grace, you never ever have to be victim to your weakness again. That weakness that you have, it will never be permanently healed until you cross to the other side with him in glory. As long as you in human flesh form, that weakness is going to exist. And the good news is he's made a provision called grace to not allow that weakness to ever have to get the best of you. Church, we don't have to keep falling victim to our weakness. And I'm tired of watching people allow themselves to be victim to their weaknesses because Paul's saying, like, you don't have to be. If you acknowledge it, see it for what it is and let grace close the gap. By your heads, close your eyes with me. What is your weakness? What is your weakness? You can never allow God and His grace to transform it into a strength until you have the courage to be honest about it. It's not going away, it's going to always be there. But this is what God's saying. That thing that you wish wasn't there, that desire that you wish you didn't have, that defect that you feel like is keeping you from all that God has for you, my grace is sufficient for you. Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their 
strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Father, today we sit here in weakness, aware of it, and we acknowledge it. But God, even when we feel weak, we will praise you because we know that your grace is sufficient. Your grace closes that divide and allows us to experience all that you have for us. And so God, in this moment, as we worship you now, God, I pray that you would speak to hearts, help us to be transparent with ourselves and with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand and worship with us this morning. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.